Welcome to Mamlaka Hill Chapel Ruwaka's podcast. Join us as we explore the depths of sin in our new series on the seven deadly sins. We'll be exploring each one of them and with the help of the Holy Spirit, learn how we can be guarded against them. And here's today's message. So let's talk about greed. One of the greatest hindrances we have all experienced in trying to deal with the issue of greed is our incapacity to answer the question, how much is enough? You remember that question that was asked sometime last year in a presidential debate? How much is enough? We want to know, is there a line? And is it the same? Is that line the same for all people? How many cars, how many homes, how many, how many, how, how many degrees, how much money can I have in my bank account? How many wives can I have before God deems me greedy? And as you ask that question, it leads to a comparison. Because someone might tell you, oh, I think two cars are enough. One for you, one for your wife, you know? Just, and so you start to compare yourself and, and say, at least I don't have as many cars as Nani, so I don't think I'm greedy. And I don't think I have many houses as, you know? And so in doing that, in, in asking for the line, and in wanting to know where you are on this side or the other side of that line, and starting to compare ourselves with other people, we make it an outward problem. When in truth, greed is a problem in our hearts. It is an inward problem. So I want to start by defining greed. I have been told that I know for sure I'm more of a teacher than I am a preacher. I'm sure you have also figured that out over time. So let's work together on this lesson. Let me start by def- the definition of greed. And this is how I, I define greed. I have in my searching, in my gathering this information, it is, it is an intense and selfish desire for more and more of something fueled by a fundamental and deep conviction that by it you will have security, significance, power, fame, etc., etc. It is an intense and selfish desire for more and more of something fueled by a fundamental and deep conviction that should you get that thing, should you get more and more of that thing, then you will have security, significance, power, fame, etc. Greed may also be driven by a warped sense of justice. Let me explain what I mean. It, it, It is believing that you should have this thing or have more and more of it because of some unfortunate, unfortunate life experience that you've had. For example, maybe you were born in a family that was poor and you really struggled through life as you were growing up. And now that maybe God gave you a good brain and you have been able to make something out of yourself, and now that you are here, you feel that life owes you. You have paid your dues. Now it is your time to eat. Now you can be rich. Now you can accumulate. Now you can have the cars and the homes and the whatever, whatever it is you, you want because you have already paid your part. This is justice as far as you are concerned. Or maybe you are in the same family that I'm talking about. You come from a, a poor family and so you have had baggage. You know what we call black tax? And you have taken care of people, taken care of people over your years. And finally, the last person has just finished school. And finally, you have your money to yourself. And it is payback time for the suffering, 
for God putting you in that family and now that you have cared and finished caring, now you can accumulate. Now it's your turn. Now you can live here and, and have this amount of money and have this number of cars and, and say, I have done my part. So it is justice as far as you see it, a warped sense of justice. Or maybe you are an employee in a, in a company and you feel that you are not paid your due. You, you are not justly compensated for working, for the amount of work you do in that company. And so because of that, you pay yourself back through different means and ways. You gather as much as you can, when the per diems, the fake receipts, the this and the other, getting as much as you can from that organization in payments because you consider that the payment you're given is not just, your salary is not just. And so if you will not get it by your salary, you will get it through every other means and equalize what you, equalize the situation and do what you consider is just to yourself, all right? So greed can be fueled by a warped sense of justice. And lastly, it can be fueled by cynicism. An attitude of life is fickle, life is fleeting, maybe because of where you work, you, maybe you're a policeman or a policewoman, a, a medical officer, a doctor, a nurse, and so you experience the fickleness of life. Or maybe you, you're not any of those things, but you have had the unfortunate experience of losing people close to you in your family, your friends, and you see how their lives were cut short when they were, you know, they were just taking off and they were just about to be big people, and then you feel, what's the point? What's the point of, life is not a given. I can walk out today and next Sunday, it's my family that's being prayed about, right? I, I left and something happened, I got into an accident and I passed on. So because of that cynicism, then you decide, let me get as much as I can out of life. Let's eat now. Let's gather as much as we can now. Let's have fun and enjoy life. Or maybe you are a business person and you, you know, cynicism, its very definition is um, you, are, you, you believe that people are motivated by selfish desires. Everyone, everyone is out seeking for their own good. And so as a business person, you decide, I mean, I can get, it's my business, I can determine the prices and this and the other. And so, in fact, I was saying, I studied economics in Campo, and, and capitalism has a good word for it. Economics has a good word for it. It's called price differentiation. You have done your, your due, due diligence and you know, say, uh, something you're selling is 20,000 shillings. That can cater for, if you sell those things that way, you will cater for the costs and have profit and uh, the company will move. But you can charge it at 50,000, depending on who you see coming to you. And you know business is business. There is no rule. So long as you can actually, that person will buy. See, that's the point. Otherwise, it's the market that forces you, the invisible hand of the market that forces your prices to go low. But so long as there is information asymmetry, I'm teaching a lot of economics, so long as there is, that person doesn't have enough info, then you can charge more and say, I, I'm a businessman, I got it. And that person, in fact, you, because the price differentiation works like that, you see someone coming up and you assess how they are dressed, assess their hair, assess that they have made their nails and determine, I think this person can pay 50,000. And so, in fact, it turns out it was true. In fact, that person thinks, what a deal, only 50,000. Oh my God, I thought it would be 80,000. Woo! 
And so you're happy, they're happy, but in truth, your greed has led you to do that thing and gather and gather that. After all, everyone is after their own selfish gain in the world. No one is catering for another. So we all do what we should do. And Reverend Mora likes to give an example of how brokers work. You know, how shambas are sold and the owner says, I just want 1.5. And as a broker, you go and say, Mwenyewe, amekwama na three million. <laughs> na amekwama kabisa. And the man is, if you know, need, can we? Okay, what I'll tell you tomorrow. And then tomorrow you say, so alikubali muisho kabisa atafika ni 2.8. And the person feels, who at least I've saved, I've saved 200,000. And then you go to the owner and you say, imagine that nimekosa kabisa wa muisho, amesema 1.3. But it's that the selfish, everyone, that cynicism, everyone is catering for themselves. And so you use that as a cover-up for your own greed. Right? The Bible cautions us, warns us to be on guard against all kinds of greed. And I believe the reason calls it, Jesus calls it that it is, be, is because greed is fueled by different convictions. So it takes different forms for different individuals. So we see that Jesus deals with it differently with different people. That's why that issue of finding a line, how much is enough, is not, it's not an outward issue, it's an inward issue. It presents itself differently from different people. And so we see, for example, with a rich young fool, what does Jesus say? No, the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he's, he's a good man. He's a moral man. He's a godly man. And, you know, I was saying in the morning service, being a rich man is not uh, synonymous with being evil. You know what I mean? There are many of you who are seated here who are actually rich people. But here you are, good enough, humble enough to even come before God and say, I know I still lack certain things, and I'm coming to God to get them. So this man, this is who he is. He's rich, he's wealthy, and he comes to Jesus and he says, what, what could I be lacking? And Jesus says, have you, done, have you done this? And he says, I have kept the law. And there are many rich people who are good. They cater for their employees. They do this. They, they, are, they help people. They are good people. They are moral people. And for him, Jesus said, okay, if you've done all those things, then go sell everything you have and then come and follow me. And it says, the man walked away sad. Now, does Jesus require every rich person in the scriptures to sell everything they have and follow him? No, he doesn't. In fact, there are many of you who, in your desire to be, to be richer and wealthier, have used Kina Abraham as examples. But men of God have, are rich, have been with Job. Uh, Moses, or not Moses, Moses, I, I don't know whether you... Uh, uh, David, Solomon, men of God have been rich. It's not an issue. And it's true. Because the issue is... What is your drive and what does Jesus try to address for you? And in fact, I hope that as this series is going on, you are able, I hope you're being grieved because Jesus is not fooled by the superficial. Jesus knows the reason you're lustful, the reason you're envious, the reason you're prideful. It's not a cover-up for him, which is why he deals with different people differently. So for the rich young ruler, he tells him, there is a hold that wealth has over you. That is the issue you need to deal with. But he is unable to deal with, with it. He walks away sad. For the rich fool, you remember the man who tears down the smaller bands to build the bigger bands, and we're going to go into that story for this sermon. Jesus cautions him. 
well, it's a parable. But Jesus says that for this one, what happened was that he was cautioned that his life would be taken away from him. That which he was guarding jealously, that which he assumed would last for long, and he had done everything he could to take care of it, to be secure for the long life he thought he had, that security, that wrapping of his fist tightly around his life was the issue. And that's what Jesus said, for you, your life will be required of you tonight. Then look at the Pharisees. There are many times that Jesus calls the Pharisees greedy. As far as we know, we don't see them clamoring for money. We don't see them gathering wealth for themselves. They were rich, but that's not what comes across in the scriptures. What Jesus is always continuously rebuking them for is their insatiable need for recognition. Always to be greeted in the street corners to this and the other. So they, they, are desire, they have a greed for something. It's not money, it's not, it's not lands, it's not those things, but it's recognition. Recognize me, acknowledge my, me. Sig, I, I'm significant, acknowledge that I'm significant. So Jesus deals differently with different people, which tells you that greed is an issue of the heart, which is why we want to go into that. Don't look at it as an outward issue. Is there a line? Is it an issue for the rich people and you who is not yet rich, consider this someone might not be for me. I have nothing to, I have accumulated nothing. I have tried for sure, but I don't have anything yet. So let's go into the scriptures. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we will start from verse 13. Luke chapter, chapter 12, verse 13 says, someone in the crowd said to him, so let me give you a background of what is happening. In chapter 11, Jesus is invited by a Pharisee uh, to have uh, food to eat together, to dine together. And as they are di- when they go, Jesus does not wash his hands. And the Pharisee doesn't say it, but looks at him and judges, you know, you know, the outward cleanliness and things like that. And Jesus rebukes him for it and starts to talk about once he, uh, warning the disciples about the Pharisees and things like that. And has, he's talking and Jesus has been, as you know in the scriptures, can be very harsh with the Pharisees. That uh, teachers of the law turn to him and say, Jesus, when you talk like that, you also are, talk, are dissing us. And he turns to the teachers of the law and he says, you even have, you, you are the guardians to the knowledge, but you hold, you have held back. You are yourselves are not going in, you're not using it to go into the kingdom and you're not allowing anyone else to get into the kingdom. And he's, you know, that's what's going on. And the people, you know, wherever Jesus would go, people would gather. So the people have been are coming around as they are together eating. And so this is what happens now. The people have been gathering. Jesus is rebuking, teaching. Many people are listening. And so now we are in, the, in a crowd because they have gathered. And someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is strange because the request looks like a fair request, right? He's not saying that he has given me the inheritance, but hajagawa vizuri, it's not equal. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, tell my brother to divide some for me. He's keeping all of it for, my, for himself. And it looks like it's an issue of justice, isn't it? Which is why Jesus responds and says, who made me judge and arbiter? He knows what you're saying on surface level is coming across as an issue of justice. You want me to deal with an injustice. 
I was thinking about it and thinking, this man, it must have been sad for him how these things turned out because he said it in the crowd. Maybe his brother was there. And maybe he ha it was, you know how you want to expose someone, you want to say it in front of the pastor because, yeah, because I've been telling you in private and you're not hearing, so if I say it in front of people, there is a chance I will get what I'm looking for. But then Jesus turns it on him and asks him, who made me a judge and an arbiter? And then what does he do? He makes it worse by turning to the people. He turns to the other people, to them, and says, watch out. Using him, I'm sure maybe he was going red and thinking I really shouldn't have done that, but here we are. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. What is Jesus saying? You are covering up the issue and making it look like it's an issue of justice, but what is going on inside your heart is that you think that in receiving this inheritance, you will have a good life. Life consists in an abundance of possessions. That's your issue. Your, remember the justice I talked about? This is a cover-up. The issue is that you have greed. The issue is that you think quality of life. And, you, and if you have ever received inheritance, if you're seated here, or if you're waiting, you know what your parents have, you know. <laughs> you know your inheritance, itakupiga ita jeki. What is, you know that? Itakutoa from kanitoa chini kaniweka mahali. You know what I mean? So when he's asking for this thing, he knows that if I should get this inheritance, my life will change. The quality of my life, I will have a good life. I will be satisfied. I don't know whether he's looking for security. I don't know whether he's looking for significance, for fame, for power, for whatever it is. But there is something else that's going on and he's covering it with the issue of justice and Jesus is not deceived about it. I want us to go into a story in the scriptures in Numbers chapter 16. So we can see clearly this issue of covering up an issue, like as if it's justice, but it's your greed that is the underlying thing uh, that's going on there. Numbers chapter 16. In Numbers chapter 16, the Bible says, Korah, son of Izha, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy. Every one of them is holy, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? Who do you think you are? And you know, it does say that, that uh, Korah was a Levite. And you know, Levites are people who are serving God, isn't it? And so he's calling out, so to speak, a colleague in the ministry. Why are you setting yourself above others? Why do you imagine that you are the only one who is holy? Everyone is holy. You have gone too far. Now, you have gone to, let me explain the background of why they are saying this to Moses and Aaron. So what has happened is that they sent, you remember the 12 spies who go to check out uh, the land of Canaan? And they come, 10 of them are, oh my God, we cannot do this. That land is full of giants. They, we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. And I, I, I like to say, it's what I call my you are me. Let me explain. My me is how I see myself. You and me is how you see me. 
my you are me is how I see what I think I imagine that you are seeing me as. You, you get that? So my you are me yao ilikuwa, the way we looked at like in their eyes, we don't know that they told them that, but they imagined surely we look like grasshoppers. So we cannot go there, this thing cannot happen. But there are two men, Caleb and Joshua, who say no, their protection is gone. God is with us. If God is pleased with us, we are going to take this land. But the people believe the ten men and they weep aloud. It's funny, why would you weep aloud when you haven't seen, you haven't even gone, you are still here. And they wept aloud and they said, you have brought us to finish us in the wilderness, you have done this. Moses and Aaron are, fall down to the ground and they say, well, look, and, and God gets angry. And when God gets angry, he wants to finish those people. But Moses and Aaron plead with God. Moses pleads with God and tells God, if you do that, the people will say you brought them out and were unable to take them where you had promised that you would take them. So God uh, relents. But you know what happens? The ten men struck by a plague by God and they die. Only Caleb and Joshua survive. So number one, some people have died. You know, they were, maybe they were just telling us the truth. You know, it was maybe their perception. Why is? But no one has talked about it yet. At the back of their minds, they have 10 men who have died because they told them a report that made them, and they had believed it and they had wept aloud because of it. Of it. And then God moves on. Oh, wait, before God moves on, they, the people say, surely we have sinned. Now we want to go up and take the land. And Moses says, don't go. God is not with you. But they say, we are going. And they go. And what happens? They are beaten back down. Number two, so 10 men have died, they have been defeated, they come back humbly. And now they start on their way. And God has declared a lot of judgments. You are all going to die. And the, the children that you said were going to be taken as plunder, those ones are the ones who are going to experience the land of milk and honey. And then God moves on, like as if nothing has happened. He starts to give them laws. When you get to the new land, when you offering, this is how it should be done. Na, na, na. And he goes on. Life moves on and then another story comes. Someone is found in the wilderness during the Sabbath collecting firewood. And some, the men who found him come and bring him to Moses and they say, we found him collecting firewood during Sabbath. And the man is put aside because they, they didn't know what to do. It was not clear what, to, what was to be done to someone who was working on a Sabbath. When they put him aside in custody, God tells Moses, that man should be stoned to death. And the whole assembly should do it. Go outside, stone him. And the man is stoned. Life moves on. Now you understand when this, this man, a Levite, and some Reubenites come and say, you have gone too far. The whole assembly is holy. You are not the only ones. Why are you raising yourselves up and looking like as if you're holier than them, like you're more chosen than them? And sometimes you know that happens. Because you see, God only spoke to Moses and Aaron, right? So whatever they were receiving, these instructions of people dying and these instructions of that they will all die in 40 years, it can, you know how it can be sometimes with your spiritual leaders. You can think, hmm, did God really say? This is too harsh. Me, I think, Moses, you, you were just mad that those people did not, so you decided that they should die. Which is why they say, every one of them, the whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah, we are in verse 5, then he said to Korah and all his followers, in the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, will be, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers and tomorrow put burning coals and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You, Levites, have gone too far. Now it's a, 
You Levites have gone too far. Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites. Isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to him, to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself. But now you are trying to get the priesthood too. This is the problem. They have covered it up and behaved like as if we're just seeking justice for the death of these people. Why you are making decisions that seem to be wrong. In our eyes, we don't agree with that decision. It's an issue of justice. And they have gathered. By the time you have 250 men, you have been in conversations, isn't it? By the time they are following you to come and say, I, we don't think you, you are just saying the Lord is with you. But the Lord is with all of us. We are all believers, are we not? So don't pretend like God is with you more than he is with us. They, make it look like, they were making it look like it's an issue of justice. But in truth, Moses calls them out and he says, you are Levites. God has called you in service. He has called you to serve near him in his tabernacle. But that's not enough for you. What you want is the priesthood. That's the issue here. It's that that is not enough for you. You are greedy for more. You are greedy for that recognition. You are greedy to be at the top of the pinnacle. Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram. Now, Dathan and Abiram were Reubenites, but they had banded together with Korah and the other men. And uh, he summons Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Egypt was where milk and honey was. You lied. We are in the wilderness. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of a land with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? And now you also want to lord it over us. Do you see where their issues are? It's not an issue of justice. Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Do you want to treat these men like slaves? No, we will not come. Now they are making it. They, are, they have sold themselves out. They are saying... You promised milk and honey. You promised, I don't know where they were promised, maybe they were told that there would be fields and vineyards. But they, they say, they're saying, you promised that these things you, will not, you have not given it to us and you're loading it over us. And then they cover it up by saying, you want to, do you want to treat these men as slaves? They're still making it look like we're just fighting for justice. God delivered us from slavery. Right? Now you want to come here and make us your slaves as well. That is not right. You're not treating these men right. I'm just trying to fight for justice for these people. But in truth, what they wanted was the milk, the honey, the fields, the vineyards, and the authority. Don't lord it over us. We don't accept your authority. You're not the only one who God has called. All of us here are believers. All of us are in ministry. Don't look like you're the one who God talks to more than the others. Justice. Warped. Covering. Greed. You know how the story ends? God, uh, Korah, God comes and tells Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from this assembly. I want to finish them. Again, Moses pleads for the sake of the people. And God says, okay, move away from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. What happens? God opens up the ground, and they are swallowed alive together with their families. And then what happens with the 250 men? You remember Moses says, okay, you want to be priests as well. Come. Bring your censers, bring the incense, put it inside, let us burn it before God. The one who God has chosen is the one who he has declared will be a priest. And remember, this priesthood was a gift. It wasn't that Moses and Aaron had deserved it. Do you remember that also Aaron's sons, two sons had been killed in that process of service? 
And God later on says, I have given this to you as a gift so that even when people bring the best of their tithes to me, I have given that to you. It was a gift. They did not deserve it. Moses was a stammerer. Moses did not want to obey God. God forced it out of him. So it was a gift given to God, but they were taking issue with that priesthood and they were imagining we too can be priests like you are. So they burned the incense and what happened? That incense came out of the censers and all the 250 men were killed. That's how that story ends. Feigning justice, but in truth it is your greed that you have covered up with the issue of justice. I asked you earlier if you feel that life owes you. If you feel that you have grown up in a family where things were not right, you were poor, things were going wrong, and now finally you can have the things that you never had and other people have had. Or you have taken care of so many people in your family and finally it is done, now it is your time to eat. Or if you are an employee and you feel unjustly treated and you will get whatever you will, you will get from that organization, everything that is due you. You may tell yourself that it is life that owes you, but in truth, deep down in your subconscious, the person you have issue with is God. Why? Because you know God is sovereign. And you know that if God had wanted, see it is God who determines the times and places where we should be born. You know that if God had wanted, you would have been born in a different family you wouldn't have had to suffer the way you did. And if God had wanted, you wouldn't have been born in a third world country where there are hard economic times all the time. <laughs> right? He determined the times and places. So you are suffering because he made those decisions. And he gave you that job. Were you, were you not praying when you were looking for that job? So you landed that job, and so you, the beef you have is with God, not with life. You could have given me a better salary. You could have given me a better job. But you haven't. So what am I going to do? Because you are not just, I will do it for myself. I will gather those things for myself. You have not given me those things. I have asked you time and again for wealth. I have asked you time and again for a car. I have asked you time and again for a house. I have asked you, I have asked you. You're not doing it for me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to get those things for myself. To you, I want to say this today. Consider the kindness, the sovereignty and the kindness of God in placing you in the place he has placed you, in putting you in that family. Do you have heard, I'm sure you have heard sermons or been in churches where you know the pastor declares, may your destiny help us find you. And you shout, amen, may people come through and do this. May someone send you money in your account. May this and the other happen. And all of you shout, amen. But who is going to be the other's destiny helper? Because in the next church and in the next church, they're also shouting about destiny helpers, isn't it? Because none of us, everyone wants the kindness. You want the kindness of God, but you don't want it to be through you that God is kind to someone else. Yeah? This is the issue. So consider the kindness of God to other people through you. That he put you in that family and gave you those brains so that you would come out of that setup and be something so that you can help them because they, it is true they are in need. Yeah? Consider the kindness of God in giving you a chance to help those people in your real group, to help those people in your church, to help those friends who are always calling you. Next week, they are always in need, always in need. Consider the kindness of God to other people through you, not always just to you. 
That's selfishness. So love each other deeply. Love the people in your family deeply. Outdo each other in showing honor. Consider them people who are worthy of honor. Consider them people who are worthy of your help. Number two, I want us to read from Luke 16, 10 to 13. Luke 16, 10 to 13 says this, whoever can be trusted with very little, I'm talking to the employee now, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? <laughs> That's a hard question for you who is asking for a house and doing whatever needs to be done to gather so that you can. Who will give you property of your own? And this is Jesus who is saying that. So if you are not honest with little, you're not going to be honest with much. The much you're asking God for, you will not be honest. And then he says, Jesus says, if you, are not, if you cannot be trusted with worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? Ask yourself those questions. Find out from your heart why it is you feel the need to gather for yourself things, for yourself things as you call it justice. Let's continue with the story. Luke 12. Uh, from verse 16. So Jesus has addressed this issue and said, you're making it look like it's an issue of justice, but in truth it's because you think that the abundance of your life, the quality of your life, the goodness of your life lies in that getting that inheritance. And he makes a big deal of it. That's where the parable of the rich fool comes from. Did you know? That simple question. Jesus, tell my brother to give me an inheritance. Now we are the parable. He told them this parable to make a big case out of that. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. This man had a fundamental need for security. First, he assumed that he would have a long life. And because of that long life, he said to his soul. In fact, it's on, NIV is the only one that says he said to his, himself. If you read in the other versions, ESV and KJV, KJV, it says, he said to his soul, soul? <laughs> eh? You know when you're speaking to your soul, do you know the inner person, that one who, the, the dreams, the anxieties, the, the things that occupy you and drive you and whatever it is, those ones that you can't even articulate or share with people, that's the person you're talking to. So this man was worried about his future. He was worried about his security. He was convinced he would have a long time, a, a long life. And so how do I cater for that long life? I'm going to tear down this small barn and I'm going to build bigger ones and say to my soul, soul, now you can, what is it? Rest easy, where I've lost it. Relax, eat, 
take life easy. You know, soft life, we want to take life easy. I retired at 35, now I'm taking life easy. I figured it out, I cured my life. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. And God says, you fool. The question someone asks is, why fool? Are we not all being taught by the, you remember Aunt Financial Wisdom from last year? It, you should, right? The scriptures teach it. You should store something. You should do this. You should learn to save. You should learn to this and that. But the question is, the, why is, is God calling him a fool? Again, you have to look at the motivations. It's not just the issue of saving that's the issue. Is that security was a big deal for him. Take life easy. Rest. Be merry. Everything is catered for now. And Jesus says, so will it be. For everyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This thing of storing and accumulating and making sure, making sure your future is secure, your children's future is secure, you're running the meal permanently, you're this and the other. Here's a warning I have from the scripture about this, about tearing down the smaller bands and bigger one, and building bigger ones. Tearing that bigger one at some point becomes smaller. You tear it down and build a bigger one from that. First Timothy chapter 6. This, I want to read two warnings from First Timothy. One is to the not yet rich, and the other is to the rich. I don't know where you are. See, you, you know whether you are the not yet rich or the rich. Wherever you may be, let me address you. So let me talk to the not yet rich first, but are trying to be, are trying to get to the point where you can tear down that smaller barn and build a bigger one because of security, not just because you're, you're, believing, you're, you're obeying God says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall, those who want to get I think this addresses many people. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. In your clamoring, in your fighting, in your desperation, in your scrambling for those things, you ruin. In fact, there's, as Timothy continues, it says you ruin your faith. Your faith can suffer shipwreck. Let me speak to the singles. The unmarried ladies. Let me focus on you today. You have set your mind on hypergamy. Do you know what hypergamy is? You will marry upwards. Come rain or shine. You shall not be caught with a poor man because your children, you, how will you live this life? This life is very unpredictable. All of us know that. And so you have set your mind that I know my security is going to come from making sure that the person I date and the, the person I get married to will be a rich man. And that can even drive you out of church because the one who is rich is not here. <laughs> he might be. He might be, but the, he, has turned, he has not turned your eyes on you. The one who has turned, turned his eyes on you is not here. The rich one who has turned his eyes on you is not here. He's out there in the world. And you will even go and get married to them because that need for security has trumped the fact that God is your security. 
I don't know how it applies to the rest of you who are not yet rich, but who are clamoring for this thing. Do not plunge yourself into ruin, temptation, traps, bad things for yourself, shipwreck of your faith because of how desperate you are to secure your future. First Timothy 6, 17 to 19, as we continue, 17 to 19, now I want to speak to you who is rich. Rich people, listen to me. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant. Why arrogant? Your arrogance will ca comes in this way. You are in danger, like Nebuchadnezzar, of starting to believe that the reason you have gathered so much, the reason you are rich, is because you are smart, you are savvy, and you become very confident of your hunches. You know, this, I, that deal, I could tell, I wait for my senses to tell me whether to take that deal or not. And because you have landed it every time, which is why you have gathered much, much, you begin to believe. The arrogance comes from, I'm a smart business guy. I'm a smart, even employee, the ones who climb up the ladder and get to those riches that we are talking about. You're smart, you're savvy, you begin to put your confidence in your hunches and beliefs rather than in God. You forget that it is God who gives you the ability to make wealth because there are so many factors that can happen in this world that can crush the things that you thought you had been. You had factored in everything that in your finite knowledge you knew how to. But you did not know something like COVID could come up. You know what I mean? And then suddenly everything goes off. So that the fact that everything has worked the way it has is not an issue of your beliefs or your hunches or your savviness or your smartness. It is God who gave you the ability to make wealth. So be careful. If you're being called to sessions, now you are the one who is teaching people the, how to run businesses because the others are suffering. They need to hear from you. They have come at your feet, oh master, that you might teach them how to do business. And now you have be begun. Even the lessons you teach are not, have nothing to do with God, with the God who has helped you arrive there, has everything to do with your, your savviness. I, I hope that word is that way. But you're savvy, you get what I mean. And your hunches and your beliefs. Put your hope in God. Oh, rich man or woman, put your hope in God, who is the one who provides us with everything for our enjoyment. His here are some assurances for you from God that can help you lay this burden down. If you're a person who is clamoring for things, for wealth, for money, for whatever, so that you can be secure, so that your children's future can be secure. Here are some assurances from God for you to help you lay that burden down. Because it is a burden. It's not an easy thing to live life that way. Luke 12, 6 to 7. Luke 12, 6 to 7, Jesus says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God tells you the cheapest. You know, if a, if a human being is kidnapped, you pay quite a hefty amount as their ransom, isn't it? And God is saying, this one that is sold for two pennies, I cannot forget them. So don't be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows put together. Isaiah 46, 3, 4. 
Isaiah chapter 46, verse 3 and 4 says, Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Don't clamor for those things. God says, I am the one who has carried you from the time you were in your mother's womb, from the time you were born. I made you, I will carry you, even to your gray ears, even to your old age. I am he who will sustain you. Luke 12, 22 to 31. Let's continue. Now Jesus goes on from that story of the rich fool. And this is that an assurance he gives when he says, don't lay up treasures for yourself because you're worried about security. So he says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. These barns that are being torn down to build bigger ones, they have none of that. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Back on exclamation mark. You know, I like to say the Bible doesn't use anything for, whatever, for no reason. You are worth far much more than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And I was saying, you know how science is pouring money, investing to try and see how they can add life, how you can live a little bit longer. And God says, you can't add an hour. And then he says, if you can't do that little thing, for God it's a little thing to add your capacity of your cells to not degenerate as fast as they are degenerating now. If you can't do that small thing, why are you worried about the rest? Consider how the, fl the wild flowers grow, verse 27. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Then he asks, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, i.e., you know how the sun burns this grass and flowers and they disappear, if, if, which are here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. Your father knows that you need food. Your father knows that you need clothing. Your father knows that you need a shelter. Then he says, seek his kingdom first, and these things will be given to you as well. Seek his kingdom. You seek his kingdom. All these other things that you're worried about will be given to you because your father knows that you need them. So rest. You who is clamoring for these things because of security, rest. Rest in God. Rest in his watchful eye over you. He gave life, he will sustain it. He is the one who gave you life. He will sustain it. He is the one who gave you a body. He will take care of it. He didn't give it to you and then forget that he gave you life and a body. Let's talk about you who is struggling with accumulating things for significance, power, fame, etc., you, I'm sure you've seen people who they have gathered a lot, they have gathered a lot so that now they are significant people in society, now they are famous, now they have power, we know them, and then at the time of their death, we realize they are in debt, they are, you know, 
their children are in suffering. We like to tell those stories with what we call schadenfreude. Schadenfreude is a German word for real, not the ones that Kinamora use and say it's a Greek word. Schadenfreude is a German word that says that rejoicing at the back of your heart for, mm, you thought you had it all, now see, now see how things have gone for you. Humanity, I'm sure you're aware, you, are, you identify with that feeling. You already dealt with that. Those are not issues in your heart anymore. I bless the Lord for that. It was never for security. Them, they were not clamoring for these things because they cared for security for them or their children. There was something else they were going after. So I wonder, are you caught up? Are you striving, bending over backwards, struggling to accumulate things, money, homes, cars, degrees, you name it, for the sake of significance? You want to be treated as a person of value? You want to be acknowledged when you walk into a room? for the sake of power, for the sake of fame. Like I said, maybe you grew up in a family that there was nothing to write home about. Poverty had besieged you. Is that a good word? There is no way to twist or turn. And so you grew up despised, mistreated by people, or not even noticed at all. They didn't know you when you were passing by. They didn't know you existed because of your poverty. And so you have a desperate need to be treated as someone who has value, hence your desperate pursuit for the accumulation of these things. You have come to realize, as all of us have, that these things, when you have degrees, you're called Dr. This and the other. When you have money and people talk about you, so you know how we would talk about Chris Kirubi as, as, as he was building two rivers. Guy, do you know how much it costs? Three billions. You have money, so you, have, you are famous. Or you are just famous because <clears throat> you have pretended and gathered and, and, and you hire cars. Please help me with some water. You hire cars to, when you go to shags for people to see See how we have become this or the other. Fame, significance, power. Maybe you are the one who was, because of being born in that family, you are the one who was taken care of as a child by the one I'm saying is tired in this congregation. You know you who is taking care of children, 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 and you keep asking, why are they giving birth to children if they can't take care of them? Now it's my burden. <laughs> so you ask that question. Maybe you were that child. You were given birth to in a family of seven people. Now, this term, you have been taken to this home. Next term, wale walichoka. That extra mouth was too much for them. You are in this other home. Next term, ata hujenda shule for the first month because they were not agreeing on who can pay your school fees. So you, you were mistreated. You were despised because of your background. So you have a desperate need to be known as someone who has as someone who has value, and to have power, or to have control over your life. Because when you did not have those things, you had no control over your own life. You were thrown here and there and here and there. So now that you have those things, you have discovered when you drive in somewhere with your big car, you are honored by guards. They don't even check you. They don't even ask you to roll down your windows. That's for small cars. You, you just... And that thing, all of us know how that thing hurts. <laughs> I remember there was a time I would walk, it says, uh, there was, I didn't have a car. So, Sisi, when you had a gari, we would even be told to leave our IDs. But what were gari? As they pass, I'm like, what is going on here? 
You, have, you know how you are treated with honor when you have those things. You know how you, now you have, you expect the waiters. When you walk in, now you're walking into, let's say, Windsor. Now you're not going to Kibandaski. You can't pay that amount and then the waiter looks like they're wasting time. What's going on? Or they're giving you tea that, that milk is not fresh. Yeah? You have, sorry. That significance is driving you. So now that you have acquired it, you want to be treated that way. Or you're here. And if someone in the Sunday school, you expect to be served by the people who are serving in church. Because you give a lot of tithe and offering to that church, does the accounts office see when your tithe comes in? <laughs> and so you should be treated a certain way. And I, I have the liberty of saying that because I'm your pastor and I know what happens in the children's ministry sometimes with parents. And I thank God for the opportunity to include it in a sermon. <laughs> You're driven by that thing because of the despising in your past. And you're bent out of shape if someone fails to treat you as you deserve. I empathize with your background. I empathize with your baggage. But I have a warning from you. This is Luke 11, 37 to 39. Luke 11, 37 to 39. Uh, when Jesus had finished speaking, this is the background I was telling you where Luke 12 starts from. A Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus was, uh, did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And you wonder, greed imetoka wapi? Kwa mambo ya kuosha mikono. Ten agreed. But the answer is in verse 43. In verse 43, Jesus says, What to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace. What to you if you're greedy for that recognition, greedy to be acknowledged, greedy to walk into a room and people stand up to acknowledge that you have arrived. You have become famous because, because of that. You, covered your, you, you, you are greedy, but you covered it with, I, just, I have worked hard. I have become this person in society. I have earned the titles. I have earned this and the other. you greedy, looking for those things. And Jesus says, woe to you for loving those things. Here's what, what God, want, God wants of you. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Jeremiah 9:23 and 24 says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. If you're going to boast, don't boast because you're known. Don't boast because you're rich. Don't boast for these things that you have acquired. Boast that you know the Lord. Do you remember last year we did this series on This Is Our God? Boast that you know the kindness of God. Boast that you have experienced the mercy of God. Boast that you know the justice of God. These are the things that God delights in. And I have another thing to say to you. Remember, you are known by the one who matters. If it is fame that is driving you to accumulate these things that you may be known, remember that you are known by the one who matters. Do you know, my husband likes to say, you know these people who, 
I know the president, they have the president's ear, but we don't know them. They're not on TV, they're not on the screens. They know they're known by the one who matters. Yeah? I hope God is worth that much to you. So that the, the, the fact that God knows you is enough for you so that your heart settles and rests from the clamoring of trying to attain things that you may be famous and known. Are you the one who struggles with cynicism? The giving up on the fickleness of life. What's the point? Let's gather, let's eat, let's be merry. YOLO, you only live once. Let's enjoy this life because we might die tomorrow. An underlying to this problem I said could be, and did I, I don't know if I said, but let me say it now. An underlying to the problem of cynicism could be the fact of that you do not believe in the hereafter. You don't believe there is eternal life. You don't believe there is life after death. So let it, it ends here. Let's enjoy it while it's here. Or it could be that you believe in eternity, but you don't think heaven is all that. You really don't think heaven is all that. All you know from, about heaven is that you will be worshipping and eating from the fruit of the tree of life. There's really not, like, what, what are we looking forward to? We can't even dress the way we want. Just the, maybe it's the gowns, the white gowns will be dressed in white forever, eternity. Watch out to enjoy easy before we get. Heaven is not that much to you. To you, I would like to say this. Revelation 21.5. God says, he who, was, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I want to tell you this. Believe the hype about heaven. Believe the hype about heaven. Believe that God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Believe that there will be no more death or mourning or pain or crying for the old order of things will have passed away. Believe the beauty, the streets of gold, and the pearly gates. Believe that there will be this tree of life whose leaves will be for the healing of the nations. That's what the Bible calls it. Believe, most importantly, believe that you will be with God himself. That you will see God, you and not another, you. And I hope that that captures your heart. The idea that you will be with God. If God is not in heaven, you don't want heaven. You want where God is. You know what I mean? I hope that that thing, being present with God, enjoying God, will be worth to you so that you, the things of this world have nothing compared to that. So I want to say to you that the world and the things of this world are not all there is. There is something else laid up for us. Finally, Jesus finishes by saying this from verse 32. Do not be afraid, little, fo little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide passes for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Earlier on he said, this is how it will be for those who are clamoring to gather things for themselves but are not rich towards God. And so I want us to find out, what does it mean to be rich towards God? What it means to be rich towards God is this, that you have put or accumulated your treasure in heaven and not on earth. You have accumulated, put your treasure in heaven and not on earth. And it might look like this. Let me give you some examples of how you can accumulate your treasure in heaven, how you may be rich towards God. 
You see your time and energy, the one that you're using to run around to secure your future and to secure your children's future and to gain significance and power and fame and, and justice, uh, get justice for your situation. Focus your time and energy, not in running around to secure your future and your children's future, but in securing their eternal future. Running around to secure their earthly future is not bad, but it can take away your time, your focus, your attention in ensuring that your children are in heaven with you. There would be no point of giving them the best education and the best homes. The reason you're building three homes is because you have three children and you want each of them to have a home and whatever. And all of that, they are great, but it says life is here today, gone tomorrow. Focus your energy to make sure that you have secured your children's eternal future. That where you will be, they too will be. Another way you can store your treasures in heaven is, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. As you do that, as you sell your possessions and give that to the poor, make sure you tell them of the love of Jesus that compels you to do that. It's not just for you to go and to Gidogoro and give money and give food and then go away and say, Woo, I do great things, I'm a good guy, I've done good things. As you give that to them, as you go and serve them, tell them about the love of Jesus that compels you to do that. So that, as far as is your part to do, you will make sure that you go with many souls to heaven. In fact, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.9, what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Let it be in heaven that you will have joy and a crown and something to glory in, in the sense that you will have people that have come to heaven because of you. There is a song that, I don't know if you know it, 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 it says there's a child, it's a child who is singing, and they say, when you were serving in Sunday school and you used to make a prayer before class began, and one day when you were making that prayer, I gave my heart to Jesus, which is why I'm here today. The setting is in heaven. I'm here today because as you are serving God, I gave my life to Christ. And another one says, I was, I'm a, I, there was a missionary who came to your church and they shared photos of me, I was there. You know, like how they went to Isiolo? I was there and you gave money for, you saw that picture and you said, I really want to take part in, part in this mission. I can't go myself, but let me support this ministry. And they came and they preached the gospel to us and now I'm in heaven because of you. Souls in heaven, that's you accumulating treasure in heaven. And lastly, let the fact that you have God and that you will have him even more fully when you will be glorified when you're in heaven, capture your heart. Strive to see him for who he is, that he may be the ultimate treasure of your heart. So that the idea of being with God captures your heart. If you don't see God as anything valuable, if you don't understand the person of God, if you don't understand his actions, and if you don't love him as you get to know him, you won't think heaven is anything if God is there. It is only the people who have seen God for who he is who are excited at the idea of being in heaven because God is the treasure of their hearts. In conclusion, let me say this. The issue with greed is that it's a power struggle you have with God over your dreams. Things you have wanted since you were young. Things your heart believes will give you a life of power, of joy, of significance, even if God were not to be included. Numbers 15, this is the last scripture we are reading and we go. Numbers 15, 37 to 39 says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout uh, the generations to come, you are to 
Make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. God sees it as a prostitution of yourself, giving yourself, giving everything you have that you may gain these things. And he says, do not prostitute yourselves by chasing after these things. Sever that umbilical cord. See God as your significance. See God as the one who has power over your life. Not humans, not because they mistreated you when you were young. See God as your security. Be willing to sever that umbilical cord, walk away from it all, and do not be afraid of losing control to God. Because God has engraved you on the palm of his hand. He will not lose sight of you, neither will he lose charge over you. Amen.